Good morning. Good morning. Welcome, everyone. I'd like to call the City Council Budget Work Session to uh, order. First, I'd like to acknowledge uh, in the audience we have uh, our new DCAO, Ms. Sharon Ebert. Welcome aboard. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Douglas Dunlap in new capacity of Director of Housing and Community Development. Congratulations. And Ms. Valerie Mitchell, uh, Director of our Office. Welcome and thank you. With that, council members, uh, we have uh, four presentations this morning. And uh, what I'd like to do before we get started, uh, Madam Clerk, now that I've gone out of order, is to go on and ask for the evacuation announcement. Upon activation of the emergency alarm signal, all persons should immediately exit the building. Please use the exits to the left or right front of the council chambers or the east or west stairwell outside the rear doors of the chamber. Do not use the elevators or escalators. After exiting the building, proceed to the assembly area located in the parking lot bordered by Clay, 8th, and 9th Streets. Citizens and employees should assist visually and hearing impaired visitors with exiting the building. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, as I indicated before, we have four presentations, and as we did with last session, uh, what we'll do is uh, have each member have opportunity to ask their uh, major two to three questions. If there are uh, any additional, we will make sure if staff or the presenter can respond to them while there to do so, if not to uh, take those questions back and forward information uh, back to our staff so that council can uh, have the responses. So with that, we'll get started uh, with the Department of Social Services. Good morning. Good morning, welcome. Thank you. I am Shonda Giles, Director of Social Services. Um, and social services is a part of the human services portfolio and our mission um, in human services is to work as a team to ensure all citizens have the opportunity to enjoy a good life. The primary function of social services is to strengthen families and individuals through services that foster self-sufficiency and resilience. Um, in support of the mayor's budget, I am excited to share a little bit about who social services um, works with and the impact on our city. I will say that the social services budget for this fiscal year, the coming fiscal year, um, remains relatively flat, but I wanted to put a bit of a face on social services because we have a lifelong impact. Um, as some of you are aware, March is Social Work Appreciation Month, and this month, actually Friday, um, our staff had the opportunity to hear from a gentleman who was a part of the first sibling set brought into foster care in 1957. Um, and he reached out to us through RVA 311. Um, and we got the opportunity to hear about his experience, the impact that social services had on him over 60 years ago. Um, he came in at seven months, and I will quote him when he said that the Virginia's health system said that he was too sick to live, but social services said he was too young to die. Um, he aged out of the system. He was in a foster home with a family who had been foster parents for over 30 years. Um, he reconnected with his sister. But 
what spoke to me in my current capacity, and I think to staff as well, is realizing that you had a lifelong impact because he maintained contact with his foster care worker that entire time. And she actually retired 10 years ago when he had been trying to find her, which is part of how he reached out to us because he would come back through the years to connect with her. Um, and so it speaks to the impact that we have on the lives of those in our community. And so if you look at the budget that social services have, and I'll just go through the numbers, but I want to speak to a little bit that impact that that has on our community. And I'm looking, and I'll be referencing state fiscal year data because that's how it's captured. So that would be from June 1st to May 31st um, of fiscal year 18. But of the 63,000 Medicaid and famous, recip famous recipients, they spent $580 million on medical services. Of the 53,000 SNAP recipients in the city of Richmond, they spent over $61 million. Of the 5,701 SNAP recipients, excuse me, TANF recipients, they spent $5 million. So it's just a brief show of the economic impact to the city. Um, if you look at total client spending from the services that they receive, direct services to clients, um, funding to social services, the economic impact in the city is over $615 million. So over a half billion. The cost to the city is about 14 or $15 million. Um, with Medicaid expansion that actually began in January of this year, that added an additional 10,000 thus far to the rolls for Medicaid for the city. Um, and we're excited with the partnership with Commonwealth Catholic Charities and Virginia Supportive Housing that this year we were able to get 28 of our frequent flyers um, at our hypothermia shelter placed in permanent supportive housing. Um, our most frequent of flyers who has over the years been at the cold weather overflow shelter for over 20 entries or uses, um, excuse me, 200 uses, um, and a total of 546, with, including other emergency shelters. Um, he had been homeless for approximately six straight years that we're aware of, had turned down services consistently over those years, but we were able to get him permanently housed this season. So this speaks to the impact that the city's social services department has on the community. Um, I am open to any questions that you all may have. Thank you, Ms. Giles. Council members, do we, are there questions? Yes, Ms. Robertson. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, good morning. I, I just want to, go, want to go back and revisit some of the um, statements that you made. You said there were, there were two organizations that you named that had been supportive in helping to provide permanent housing for homeless. Um, it's the Virginia Supportive Housing Organization, and they actually now have that grant. If you re recall the um, HUD grants, the city was the fiscal agent of those grants, and now slowly um, the grants have changed where the community organization or nonprofit can apply for those, and Virginia Supportive Housing are now the direct recipients of that HUD funding. So working through those, their programs 
Um, we worked in partnership with them and Commonwealth Catholic Charities um, in case management. And of course, our social workers with the outreach and connecting with supportive services. Okay. And just one follow up. Um, yes. The impact of 615 million? Yes, ma'am. So the total amount of costs versus the fiscal impact? The total cost to the city, according to Virginia Social Services, is $14,939,890. And I have a handout that has this information on it if you'd like it. All righty. And so what are you accounting? How do you, how, how do you measure the impact? So the state captures, if you look at um, the handout that I have in front of me, administrative cost to the city. It breaks it down as to which portion is reimbursable by the federal government, state government, local government, and those portions that are local only. Um, they look at services purchased for clients, and then it looks at the client's benefit spending, so those who receive benefits and how they spend that funding. So it comes from several different sources, um, which would include the Department of um, Medicaid Assistance, Sedemus, um, OCS, Office of Children's Services. So it really captures data from multiple organizations, social, Virginia Department of Social Services, to see how those clients who actually receive those benefits are spending them. Ms. Giles, yes, ma'am. Do you have that information electronically? I do. I can can send you send me. that to Ms. Brown so that yes. she can share it with all of council? Absolutely. Thank you, Mr. Angelesto. Thank you, Madam President, and uh, Ms. Giles. I appreciate the presentation. A couple of questions. It looks like there's a reduction of 2.5 FTEs. Are they associated with grants that yes, expired? Okay, thank you. Um, and then also, uh, I know that oftentimes the General Assembly will uh, tweak the funding formula and start shifting more of a, a cost share to the locality for many of the programs that they're supposed to be funding. Uh, did we see any decrease in their percentage of a cost share uh, for CSA or any other services that we provide? We have not in those funding um Formulas are across different types of services, but if you still average it out, it's about 84.5% reimbursement total. Okay, so we didn't see any uh, decline in the percentages from the state for all of our programs? Not that it would have an overall impact. impact. Okay. Because there are some that may have decreased by like 0. .0005, but there are some that are reimbursable at 100% by and, the feds. So. And we didn't see any increase in the state share for reimbursable programs? The only increase that you will see um, will be pertaining to the state increasing um, the approval for a 3% increase for salaries. So that is included in the state budget. Okay. Thank you very much. Ms. Giles, um, just a quick question. Yes, um, if I recall correctly, we were... Um, with Medicaid expansion, about 14,600 Richmonders would have access to health care. Are we on uh, target for getting the additional sounds like at least 10,000? And con congratulations. Uh, that's significant. Um, are we pretty much on target for getting, and, you know, the other 4,600? Uh, 
I think there has been expansive um, recruitment mm -hmm. efforts to get people to apply. I will say probably the vast majority um, transferred over automatically from the federal market system. Um, and then the other push has been in partnership with community organizations who are out in the community. Okay. So um, it seems to have been flat for a little bit, but we hope to continue to see an increase in those who are applying. And um, 10,000 10, additional applicants since January is actually quite a bit. That is major. Congratulations. Thank you for that effort. Um, with that, are there Councilwoman Robertson? In regards to the vacancy positions, yes, ma'am. Uh, you're showing about 144 vacancies at the present time. At the time that this was submitted, correct. It mm -hmm. varies a little bit each day, but between 130 and 145. Okay, and you have funding in the budget for for all of those positions. Not all of those, no, ma'am. Probably for about all but about 90. All but 90? Excuse me, 57 of those. You have funding for 57 out of the 140. At my last check, yes, ma'am. That could be an error, but um, as certain positions become vacant that are not direct service positions, um, we may not immediately fill those. So you will see some turnover in how we're filling positions. But it is 1.3 million for the vacancy funding. Okay. I will say with Medicaid expansion, that hit us a bit hard in that other localities, um, when they were hiring people to do Medicaid expansion, it wasn't new workers. They needed experienced workers. and so. Other localities were able to get funding for additional FTEs um, and with a smaller caseload and about $10,000 more in salary. And the high quality and caliber of staff at Richmond Social Services, I would say that we took a hit with Medicaid expansion. I'm not, sure that I'm, I, I'm not sure that I'm understanding the answer to the Answers. question clearly. There's 1.3 million available in vacancy funding to fill those vacancies. It will not cover the full 144. I can get the data of what the exact number it is that will cover it, but I don't have that in front of me. Okay, so you okay. can get us information yes. as it relates to the 1.3 that you have in the budget as to how many positions you that would cover. will yes, be able to cover. And is there an impact um, analysis on the 100 and my question, my concern is that if we have this number of vacancies and we only are funding whatever percentage that is of those or numbers of those, um, what kind of impact that has on your office if we're not funding your demand for positions? The greatest number of those vacancies hit our eligibility side of the house to those who process Medicaid, SNAP, TANF, those applications. Um, and so the results of that would be a higher caseload. Um, and the time in which it takes to process would be what the impact is. But the vast majority of those are on our benefits side of the house. 
So, Ms. Giles, just in response to Ms. Robertson, you would be able to get the information in terms yes. of vacancies, and you were asking about impact and implications. Yes, ma'am. For service. Okay. With that, thank you. Thank you. Our next presentation, um, I think Ms. The Office of Community Wealth Building. Good morning, City Good morning. Council President Newbill and Welcome. City Council members. My name is Valerie Mitchell. I am the Director of the Office of Community Wealth Building. The Office of Community Wealth Building is a part of the Human Services Portfolio, and the portfolio's mission is to improve the quality of life for all Richmond residents um, and to ensure that people thrive. Um, the Office of Community Wealth Building's main goal is to reduce poverty and build wealth in the city of Richmond for Richmond residents. I am pleased to stand before you um, to talk a little bit about what our department has done over the past year and to present the mayor's proposed budget for our office. The office is working with individuals in Richmond who have a lot of roadblocks to employment and to reaching their goals, but they are all very driven. They're all very driven to see success and to get employment making livable wages. In FY18, we were able to renew our $1.9 million grant that we received from the Commonwealth of Virginia's um, Virginia Department of Social Services. In addition, we received an additional $300,000 from the department to expand our services to Richmond residents. We were able to serve over 200 youth this past summer in the Mayor's Youth Academy. And we were able to work with over 700 people um, with case managers, which means they, were, they received job coaching and intensive services one-on-one -on -one to get job services. Over 2,400 attended training and workshops, and over 300 were able to obtain employment. Our living wage program, which we launched the living wage campaign so that Richmond businesses and businesses in the area will pay a living wage to individuals, was able to get 34 businesses living wage certified. So we are very excited about the work that the office has done. We've, um, the city as, um, as an employer itself has made a commitment to also being a business that serves and employs people who are living in poverty. So internally, we've worked with multiple city departments on apprenticeship, developing apprenticeship pathways and pathways to city jobs and careers. Some of the departments are Parks and Recreation and the exciting program and partnership we had with Parks and Recreation and the Sheriff's Department where we placed people on jobs doing landscaping. So they were able to maintain the fields and the parks for parks and recreation, as well as gain um, living wages at that point, and um, skills, much needed skills. A lot of those individuals have gone on to employment, some with the city, but some in other places, but we're really excited about it. We've also worked with the 311 Call Center, the Department of Public Works. We're working with the Department of Public Utilities and um, the Housing and Community Development Department. So um, having said all of this, this 
These are the types of activities that the proposed budget will support. What you have before you on the spreadsheet is the proposed budget for the Office of Community Wealth Building. You do see a 7.2% change in our vacancy funding. A lot of that is um, it's consistent with what was proposed in 2019, and there are some other pieces in there, such as changes with health care and the 3% um, wage increase for city employees. And a large part of that is also attributed to the fact that when the budget was developed, we had a vacancy, um, our director position was vacant. So that's a huge part of what you see in the vacancy funding as well. Thank you, Ms. Mitchell. And um, just um, to let council members know, Ms. Brown uh, sent out the annual report again that Ms. Mitchell delivered uh, before council before. So. Are there questions? Ms. Larson. Um, thank you for your presentation. Um, I just had a car wash open in my district, and they had been reaching out to the office. Um, they've already hired their employees, but they had trouble getting in contact with someone who, um, who could assist in connecting them with the office to potentially hire some folks. So can I connect them with you over email? Y yes, please connect them directly with me, and I will connect them with one of our business service representatives okay. personally. Yes. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Any other questions? Ms. Robertson. Uh, thank you, Ms. Mitchell, for the presentation and the work that you're doing. Um, when we uh, set up this department, we made a goal of reducing poverty by a certain amount by a certain year. I don't remember those details. Do you? I do. Okay. <laughs> so so the, the goal is to reduce poverty by 2030, 40% in adults, and 50% in youth and children. All right. 2030? By 2030 and is the year. Okay. So the percentage is 40% in adults and 50% for children and youth. Okay, and uh, is there a method of we, that we're using to measure that on, a, on an annual basis to determine how successful we are and we've got 11 years, I guess? Yes, so, so we look at the poverty rate. We, we also, we have a formula that we could send, um, but it looks at taking out the number of college students and, and, and some others who are not actually in job search, individuals who are disabilities and so on. But I could send you the exact formula that's used to measure it. Okay, that would be good to send that yes. to um, Megan would send it so we can get it to the, yeah. all other members yes. of council. All righty, thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Yes, Ms. Mitchell, in follow-up, if you would send that to Ms. Brown so Ms. that Brown. she can distribute to all council members. Thank you. Thank you for your presentation. Thank you. Um, Madam Chair, you mentioned that Megan had sent us out the report that we received. Was that sent out an electronic report? Yes, thank you. Yes, it was sent out electronically this Thank morning. you. Yes. Richmond Public Libraries, welcome. Good morning. Good morning. I have a brief infographic I'd like to pass out if I can.
Right. Um, good morning. On behalf of our library users, the library board, and the staff of the Richmond Public Library, we appreciate your support and the support of the mayor in helping the library achieve our, achieve our mission to inform, enrich, and empower. As you know, Richmond Public Library is a part of the human services portfolio. Our mission in human services is to work as a team to ensure all Richmond citizens have opportunity. We do this by providing access to educational, cultural, and information resources to ensure the best quality of life possible. We serve everyone, and we want everyone to thrive. The mayor's proposed budget supports our goals, objectives, and mission. It provides Richmond Public Library with the funding to offer high-quality, authoritative, and desired books, digital and electronic resources, and learning programs for all ages. I'm pleased to present a brief infographic and survey from 2018 that details facts, figures, and user input from our last year. We believe this is helpful to understand what we deliver and what our users think of us. Last year, we, we checked out 632,879 items. It's a pretty big number, so I have a hard time getting out sometimes. Um, that includes books, media, audio, and information in physical and electronic formats. We had over 800,000 visits to our library locations in 2018. These visits range from patrons checking out books, searching the internet, attending a story time, simply making a copy, or participating in the summer reading program. Last year, we issued 14,206 new library cards. Those are physical library cards. Um, and this, and starting last year, we introduced electronic library cards because I had lots of citizens approaching our library and saying, hey, I love your library. I just can't get down there to get a library card. Um, how, can I, how can I get access? So we introduced an electronic library card that's available 24-7, and you can go and sign up and instantly start checking out uh, electronic materials. So the e-card is available to all of our citizens. Um, and again, the electronic resources available through our website are simply powerful. Um, and they don't accumulate overdue fines. Um, one would think electronic content would be inexpensive. However, it is more expensive to provide. Frequently, frequently, I think you'll discover that critical information when you do a web search is locked behind a paywall. The modern public library opens access to that information as we've always done. It's just a different format these days. Our website has effectively become our 10th branch. Just five years ago, many large library websites were merely electronic billboards. Today, they are interactive tools for our users to gain access to all of that electronic information in all of the different formats. Through our websites, patrons may do research, check out a large catalog of electronic content, we have online education with testing, tutoring, and um, where students can learn everything from Microsoft Excel to anatomy and physiology. You may even learn a new language through a program called Transparent. Uh, we even have access to the old electronic Encyclopedia World Book. Um, for many years, that's been the go-to for elementary to college students. Um, through RVA Reads, we've provided over 3,000 books to preschool and Head Start students. This promotes reading literacy in an effort to prepare preschoolers for first grade. We will not have strong readers unless we help create a culture of reading in homes throughout the Richmond. 
Reading is the key to educational and life success. We also served almost 250,000 computer users through library workstations and Wi-Fi. We are bridging the digital divide in our communities. We've expanded our public service hours. We've added Sunday hours at the main library and the Ginder Park Library, and we continue Sunday hours at Broad Rock. Patrons very much appreciate all of these added service hours. For many families, Sunday is that only free afternoon that they have to have together to access the library, catch up on homework, do consumer research, or find that novel a friend recommended. In closing, to exemplify Richmond Public Libraries effectively impacts a Richmond family, we serve the whole family. At all locations, children are able to receive help on their homework. Many of our families in poverty who may not have, an act, who may not have a computer at home or Wi-Fi at home can come to the library and access an Internet workstation. This is how many of our families access their email, connect to social media, find in, and find information to solve their challenges and problems. All family members are able to attend classes and check out books at the library to help them develop those soft and hard skills to help them improve their chances of finding a new job or advocate for a better position with more pay in their current employer. Moreover, Richmond Public Library offers books and materials to expand the cultural and entertainment opportunities. The users may download music, video, electronic books, or any of the resources to improve the quality of their life. Most importantly, we have trained staff and librarians who are ready to help them find answers to questions and get, assistances, get assistance with life challenges. We appreciate your continued support in helping us provide a library that serves all of Richmond. Thank you, and I'm happy to answer any of your questions. Thank you, Mr. The... Far. Okay. Mr. Farstein. Mr. Angelesto. Thank you very much, Mr. Firestone, for the presentation. Um, <clears throat> looking at your kind of illustration here, it's a fantastic snapshot. Do you have a sense of um, what percentage of the Richmond eligible population has a city library card? Uh, approximately 150,000 users. Um, so at any one time, we have 80,000 active users. So 80,000 library cards have been issued that are That's how many we have as active holders. Mm -hmm. So that number also includes surrounding areas. So people like employees of the city of Richmond or people who work in Richmond can get a library card. Mm -hmm. So we have reciprocal agreements with our partners in Chesterfield, Henrico, and we call it the Capital Area Library D District. So mm -hmm. we have reciprocal borrowing agreements. So it, it includes some of those people. It's a minimal impact, but... Um, Okay. I can get you a I didn't know if that was, number. I didn't know if that was um, now with kind of the performance-based budgeting, whether or not that was a benchmark uh, for city residents that we were going to start looking at. Uh, number of library card holders. Mm -hmm. That's always been a number that we've, we've tracked of users. So we, when someone registers for a library card, we get their zip code information, their address information, so we can run searches of our database to really know how many Richmonders we're, we're impacting. Um, but we do keep track of that. Okay. If you could follow up, not just with the regional number, but with the specific number. On, mm -hmm. on Richmond residents, I would appreciate that. Certainly. Um, and then I will just commend the council because, and as Mr. Firestone just presented, uh, the Sunday hours at the libraries are exceptionally popular. 
And we now have uh, three libraries that are operating Sundays, uh, one on the south side, the main library, and then uh, Ginter Park on the north side. And I don't know if my colleagues saw, but Henrico County is now following suit, and they're opening up the Libby Mill Station Library on Sundays as well as the Fairfield Library on Sundays, and I think that that's a very good trend for the region, and if we can see the same from Chesterfield, and I think it's remarkable that the city of Richmond uh, took a leadership in that uh, effort. So congratulations. Thanks. Thank you. Mr. Jones? Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Madam President. Um, and and I, I appreciate the wonderful uh, segue, uh, uh, Counselor Agilesto. Uh, we have a very unique opportunity uh, at the Broad Rock Library. Um, it is a learning center that is attached to uh, a very uh, large and active um, city park. Um, so when families are, are in there on Sundays, it, it's, it's a natural tie for them to spend time in the library and then, you know, go over to the park. Uh, but there's a challenge in the park at, at this point. Uh, and because it's a challenge in the park, it creates a dynamic in the Broad Rock Library, things that I've experienced firsthand um, and even on yesterday. <clears throat> and excuse me, I, I, I don't want us um, to miss this opportunity uh, uh, simply because, you know, we, we are all in on Sunday hours. We are all in on making sure that we have uh, the right facilities. Um, on, on yesterday, we picked up about 50 bottles at uh, the park out there. Um, some of them were still full, and thank God no child opened one or popped a top on something um, and consumed them. And, and again, the reason why this is a library issue is simply because they share parking lots and they share that space. And a, again, a lot of the people that leave the library, they just, it's an easy transition over to the park. And again, anything that goes on in the park goes over and spills into the library. Um, it has become, uh, by default, uh, the spot for car shows uh, and where these different car clubs will come out uh, on the weekend and you hear music blaring blocks away. So I know it bleeds into um, what's going on in the library. Um, and so we, we must focus. But, and, and again, you have a level of responsibility simply because you're on that site. And so you have a vested interest there. But we, we, we really need to partner with Parks and Recs to, to see how we make this the, be the best experience for all of the residents that utilize the Sunday hours. Because basically what it becomes is a family time. But it's tough to do family when there are so many other issues that need to be addressed. We called, we literally called the police on yesterday. Um, and an officer just drove through, did not talk to anyone until I called back and asked them to send that person back out again. Um, and so, so again, we, we really have to look at how we're managing that entire facility 
because we're expending a lot of a lot of dollars in there and we're driving families we're driving families to the library um, and to that space and so um, and I've already sent this information to uh, uh, to uh, the director of Parks and Recs just saw him a little bit ago would love to send you this information uh, because again I, I think it's going to be a multi-pronged approach to ensuring that we safeguard the investment of taxpayer dollars that go into this area to make sure families feel safe coming out there um, and that kids are exposed to the right things and not to, you know, again, beer bottles across the property uh, and things of that nature. So, so Mr. Jones, you said you've already sent something to... Um, Mr. Frelk. Okay. And I and just want to... So asking Mr. Farstein to interface relative to this, because this is going on now. Yeah, if, if, yeah th this okay. just happened yesterday. If I can get your phone number offline here, I'll, I'll, I'll forward you um, all of the uh, okay. all of the pictures and all the information. Yeah, I'll give you Thank my you. business card. I mean, I want you to know that our library and all of the communities throughout the city, we want to be a good neighbor. Right. And we have a really positive relationship with Parks and Rec. We collaborate together on a lot of the, their mission. Um, they help us by advertising our programs in their, in their publications. Um, and at Broad Rock, it's, it's a really positive environment. And yeah. I, I think we have a, a really bright uh, future down there. Mm -hmm. And uh, we will continue to collaborate with Parks and Rec on many of the learning and literacy activities that they do. Because together, we, we really do want to impact and make Richmond, a great place to live, work, right. and raise a family, of course. So. Awesome. Mr. Farstein, we would appreciate your, um, as Mr. Jones has asked, connecting with Mr. Frakey and if RPD is indicated, and then rounding the wagons back to talk yes, about what strategies so that families can enjoy that full venue. With that, Ms. Gray and then Ms. Robertson. Hi. Um, I was just wondering, back in the day, we used to be able to return. Our, I know we had, still have the agreements with Chesterfield and Henrico, but we used to be able to bring the books back to any branch in the region. Yeah. And uh, that Richmond, went away. So in Richmond Public Library, you can return, uh, if you check a book out at the main library, you can return it at uh, Kinder Park or you can return it anywhere in the system. We occasionally will get books from Chesterfield or Henrico that appears in our Dropbox at our desk, and we just send them back to them. So we don't have an. Most folks realize where they, they, they usually use the library that they use, so they'll often return Chesterfield to the books same. To, to the it same used place. to be that you were allowed to do that, right? We we don't really do we don't really okay. do that. So no. Okay, thank you. But if one comes across, we make sure it gets back to where it's supposed to be. Okay, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Miss Robertson. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you for the presentation, <clears throat> ma'am. Good seeing you yesterday at such a historic event uh, with the uh, Dothy Heights uh, uh, plaque being installed at the library on Hall Street. Uh, appreciate the work that your staff has done to work with the community to uh, really capture the significant history of African Americans in the Blackwell community as it went through this historic uh, designation this past, this year. Um, but I also think that I would like to see you do a better job at uh, sharing all of the different types of uh, activities that you bring to the library, uh, the education that you bring from such a broad 
cultural perspective in, in the libraries uh, uh, is huge. Uh, your doors are always walk, open and welcome the community for meetings and other types of events. So the educational scope is much larger than um, um, the, um, some of the activities that people use just for <clears throat> with their library cards. But um, I think you should celebrate that more than what you currently are. Um, the question I have is in regards to um, an ed- uh, article that was in the newspaper or maybe a year or so ago in regards to the library serving almost as a daycare center uh, for the homeless that um, are in, in the Richmond metropolitan area that we've, you have a large uh, volume of uh, homeless uh, families that find the library to be a place of shelter uh, when there is no other day shelters that are available for them. Have you seen a change in that? Have you seen um, uh, a difference in the way that that is being uh, managed uh, at your facilities? So um, one of the things that I'm proud that we've been able to take part in with the community is the solution-based focus that the administration and the city has had when it comes to homelessness. Uh, the continuum of care we've been a part of. We've been a partner at that table. Uh, we've provided input because, in fact, we are one of the places that people who are experiencing homelessness gravitate to because um, we have uh, heating and cooling, um, we have restrooms, and we have resources for them to utilize to connect to their family. Um, if you think about homelessness, um, you may not, you, you do not have Internet access and so how do you communicate with those in, in touch with you? So um, you, you um, use the library. Um, and it's a challenge to serve folks who are experiencing homelessness because um, they often sometimes have addiction disorders or mental disorders. And so trying to find them help is uh, something that the library has taken on. So we have partnered with um, Homeward. And, and we are working with Department of Social Services, their outreach workers, to provide social work contacts in our library locations. So very soon we will have uh, a part-time social worker who will work on building rapport with people who are experiencing homelessness to find solutions for them to get out of homelessness. Um, so it's one of the things that I think that our librarians don't have a lot of capacity to handle because folks who are experiencing homelessness have other problems on top of those. And so if we can connect them to those resources to help them overcome that, that's what we want to do. And so this has been our effort, and we are hopeful in the next, very soon to have a social worker employed or operating in the library and making those connections to get those uh, persons experiencing homelessness, um, those resources to get them out of homelessness. So, and we, we experience it across the system. The main library, I think, is one of the places that you will notice uh, most folks experiencing homelessness. But throughout our, our whole system, we have, we have that east end, west end. So, but that's been our approach. And we really do our best not to discriminate against people who may have those challenges. Um, so we welcome them, and we want to try and get them help. Yeah, I, I want to thank you because 
there is a um, true uh, humanitarian spirit that is exercised at the library as it relates to serving all of your customers. Right. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Mr. Farstein, thank you so much. I want to uh, just uh, say ditto to Councilwoman Robertson's statement about really, <clears throat> excuse me, um, tooting your horn. Not only do you work to serve the whole family and to address homelessness, but the librarian in our district, which we'd like to keep. Oh, absolutely. Okay, yes. just it's, saying. East End uh, is a thriving, but, thriving library, and, and it's a really interesting dynamic going on there with the, with the new grocery and the, the right, J-Sarge. You're interfacing there, but he also saved a life. Because you were right. visionary enough to understand that the challenges confronting the community, like homelessness, like opiate addiction, that there needed to be some level of training and preparation, and so that the librarian was trained in addressing that and went out indeed and saved a life uh, as he was going to lunch. Yeah. And so what I appreciate is that you understand that it is a part, an intimate part of the community and looking at how it connects whether it's to homelessness, whether it's open, whether it's to the new development going on, it just happens to be in the East End, but also across the city, every place that we have our libraries, they're an intricate part of our community and the fabric of it. And I just want to say thank you for your vision around that and understanding that it needs to be connected and not a you know, separate uh, entity unto itself. So thank you. Right, if we're not listening to our users, we're not doing our job. So that's really how we feel. And yesterday was a really uh, wonderful ceremony. Uh, we were able to celebrate really a legend in uh, women's rights. Uh, and Miss Height's uh, uh, marker placed at Hall Street, I think, is fitting and honorable for a person who did not only so much for Richmond, but for the nation. And we uh, closed down Hall Street. We had a parade to go down there and celebrated somebody who needed to be celebrated, especially during Women's History Month. So um, I was very proud of that because it really did reflect how our library, uh, not only were educating with her story, but also honoring her, her memory in her birthplace. So yes. I, I think that was, it was outstanding, and we're going to continue to do those things as a library. Thank you. So, thank um, we you. thank you for your uh, work and your vision uh, in our city with the rest of our uh, agencies. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Department of Justice Services. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning. President Newville and Council. I'm Rodney Baskerville, and Director of the Department of Justice <laughs> Services. Department of Justice Services is part of the Human Services Portfolio. Our mission in human services is to work as a team to ensure that Richmond citizens have the opportunity to enjoy quality of life, and we want everyone to thrive. The primary function of the Department of Justice Service is to promote safety and healthy, a safe and healthy community through evidence-based practices to empower participants and achieve measurable success. The Department of Justice Service provides a variety of services uh, to, the, to the community. Um, we have a division of adult adult programs, the Richmond Juvenile Detention Center, Division of Juvenile and Community Programs, and, and of course our administration and the Day Reporting Center. Um, in 2018, 144 court-involved youth completed over 4,000 
hours of community service. We also had 57 youth that we kept in the city of Richmond through a central region cap program. So we allowed those, those kids that were supposed to be committed to the state of Virginia to stay at, at our juvenile detention center a little longer so that they could spend more time with their families um, because that's a very important um, process. Um, we also had a, a great opportunity to partner with Richmond Public Schools because we always do. A lot of people don't, don't realize that Virgie Benford is, Richmond, is in the Richmond Juvenile Detention Center. Um, Mr. Robinson was the Teacher of the Year for the state of Virginia and is currently up for National Teacher of the Year. That's the type of work that we're doing from an education perspective within, within, our, within our juvenile detention center and working with those families in the, in the communities. At this time, um, I'll take any questions that you guys may have. Ms. Gray? So I'm noticing a trend with respect to the school budget and this budget. It looks like a significant cut to in-home services. How are those services going to be provided um, or where if they're cut? I, it looks like you have... A 40% cut here and with respect to in-home services. A 40% cut in in-home services? Yes. Just From the document we have, Mr. Baskerville, it's the third. You item. may be looking at a different yeah. document, yeah. but it's about a hundred thousand dollar, hundred and two thousand dollar cut to in-home services. Okay. And yeah. So th that funding will come through our, our crime control funding. So we do have crime control that will allow us to to bridge the gap between some of our in-home services. So it won't be that significant of a cut in our in-home services. Some of, those, some of those things that were cut were due to the lack of positions and vacancy fundings that we had in those positions. So that's why that number is looking like that. So, and I, I'm partial because I was a home visitor for many years, and I know that those interactions are what make you able to garner the information and really get to the root cause of some of the issues that are causing the behaviors that you see. Yeah. So I'm just wondering if you can educate me a little bit about what, what is encompassed in these in-home services and what, what will be made up with that other piece. Yeah, so right now with our, with our in-home services, I mean, we, we, treat, we try to treat the entire family. So we'll get a, a, a group that, that may be, you know, um, coming from the court that, that will come in and will serve the family. That's not going to stop. We have to be able to do that to be able to do some of our other work. What we want to do is to be able to, to work with the family and the community and the courts to provide the best outcome for those residents. Um, so if we have to shift personnel around because we have a multitude of personnel to do what we, we need to do, that's what we're going to do to accomplish those goals. So individuals who aren't traditional home visitors or in-home service providers might be asked to do that? No, our, our, we, we have traditional in-home counselors that will do, do all those, do, those, do that work. 
So if we have to go out and move some positions, meaning that allocate other positions and hire additional in-home services workers and move it from somewhere else, that's what we'll do to, to maintain that. It just, to me, it looks like a very significant reduction. If, I mean, either the caseloads are going to grow significantly or services won't. There are only so many hours a person can, can put in. So I'm just wondering, how, how do we close the gap? Okay, I see someone. Yes. Hi, my name is Shannon Paul with the City of Richmond Budget Department. The department has a pool of vacancy funding, and so at the time that the budget decisions were made, there was a vacancy in that area uh, that was not necessarily funded, but the way we look at allocating dollars now is a pot of money, so the department has the flexibility to determine if the need is really strong there, that they can fill the vacancy. So it would honestly be helpful. I, this, this is problematic for me, the way the budgets are done, because I know there's a pool and it's not attached to any specific positions. But if there are X number of children and a home visit takes X number of hours, then we kind of should be able to plan how many people we're going to need to do the number of home visits that we're averaging year over year. So, I mean... Yes, ma'am, I understand what you're saying, and they will be able to look at what their needs are and if they are realizing the need to have a full-time staff person to serve that part of the community, they have the flexibility to fill the position. Right, so, 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 so understand that when you talk about the, excuse me, I'm sorry, when we talk about the vacancy funding, on the projected, those positions weren't filled, so there was a cut. So now we have the ability to be able to fill those positions so they won't be, you know, people won't lose out on services from projected to what we're currently at at, at this, this time. Does that make sense? I guess it does. <laughs> no, what about you? Because one thing that's not making sense is that she just called me yes, ma'am, and we're the same age. <laughs> but um, okay. no, that, make, that makes sense. I didn't want to say we've known each other since we were eight years old. <laughs> okay. Miss Gray, does that That's I guess okay. it, I, I think it's just the way that budgets are done in the city that kind of rubs me because I'd like to know how many positions we're actually funding and with the vacancies, you don't know how many are actually being funded and how many are being floated each each time. Sure. Um, and if Brown. I may, um, count, um, Madam President, yes. Jay Brown, Director of Budget and Strategic Planning, um, the statements were correct. Um, there is not enough funding citywide to provide full funding for vacancies, but departments do have the flexibility with the vacancy funding that is proposed and hopefully adopted um, to allocate that to any position that is critical for their needs. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Robertson. Okay. Good morning. Thank Good you morning. For the presentation. Did you say on average how many uh, children uh, you're serving on an annual? Say how many it. children? 
are those numbers increasing uh, as to how many children are actually coming into the system? Um, we, they've been fairly flat as a number, but I can give you exactly how many intakes. I mean, I can see exactly how many intakes that we've taken in mm-hmm. uh, on community service, um, electron monitoring, and, and through detention. I can send that information to you. Okay. You'll send us those numbers? Yes. Yes. Right. If you would and send that to Ms. Brown, uh, please. I'm sorry, Ms. Robertson, if you continue. Okay. Um, one of the uh, indicators that we pay attention to as it relates to the potential of children ending up uh, being a part of, of the system, uh, reading schools by third grade. And if my information is correct, we have seen an increase in the number of uh, children that are not reading to grade, grade level. And uh, do you guys have any um, records or any indicators that suggest that uh, the academic achievement of children, uh, especially with the reading scores of third graders, have any uh, reflection on the number of intakes that you ultimately get as well? Uh, that's a, that's um. We do have access to the reading scores and we from kids that are coming in intake from detention and we partner with the schools to to get that and there's some indicators out there, but how it we've never done it and I can surely probably look at it, but we've never done it from a standpoint of intakes to to reading levels. Or the number of kids that, and that's what the question you're asking. The number of kids that we're getting on in, that we're intaking compared to what their reading level are. But I'm sure that's a, a number that um, that we can, I can wendle down and get to you. I would like to suggest that we pay a lot more attention to that and look at our reading scores and, and, and whether or not we can determine whether or not it has any impact on the actual number of, uh, and I think there are other places as well, Madam President, that we could be looking at as it relates to that, but certainly this is one area that I would like to, for us to begin to um, pay, again, keeping that data uh, so that we can use it more effectively to make sure that we are doing everything we can to make sure that kids are reading to those grade levels. Right, and, and I think that's, an, and I agree with you 100%, I think that's when about last year we did what we call a read aloud program where we had um, volunteers that would come in and do reading and work with work on reading for um, some of those um, detained youth. Mm-hmm. So when you, I'm sure that part of your assessment when you when you're looking at uh, determining the educational needs for for the children, are you finding that the children that you do intake on um, are reading to grade level, or, or what? I mean, what are you finding in yeah. that? from that perspective. Yeah, the, the majority of our, our kids are not reading at grade level that we're seeing come through our Documenting intake. where they're reading at based on what grade they're in? I mean, are we are we able to say that these kids are in the eighth grade or ninth grade or whatever, but they're actually reading at fourth grade level when you do your intake? Yeah. Are we... Yes, ma'am. Data like that? Yeah, we, we have that data. So I can tell you exactly what 
you know, the, the percentage of kids that are reading at what level, yes. All right, that would be very helpful. Thank you. So if you could provide that information um, to Ms. Brown so that we can provide it to council members, we'd appreciate that. With that, uh, I think that uh, we would like to thank you, Mr. Baskerville, for your presentation, Mr. Brown and Ms. Paul for the add-ins as well. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. Council members, we have concluded our presentations uh, for this morning. Uh, my question to you is, uh, assuming it is acceptable for notification purposes, whether or not we can go on and, after taking a 10-minute break, come back with the amendment sections uh, that were, excuse me, my voice is going. <clears throat> that were indicated for the afternoon session. Would you be amenable to taking a 10-minute break and then coming back? Am I seeing yes? Okay. All right. So if we could return at 1015, uh, and then we will take up the amendments that are proposed. And thank you, everyone, for your presentations uh, and for your presence. Council members, if you would join me on the dais, we will reconvene the council's budget work session with a focus on the uh, amendments. Thank you. I'm going to turn this over to staff now. Charles, if I believe that it is. Good morning. Want to get us started. So on display, uh, we have council's uh, initial amendment proposals. Yes, sir. Sorry about that. Thank you. Mine isn't working. Thank you. Again, we have council's initial amendment proposals, and we will begin with the increases, which currently has a total of six hundred and eighteen thousand. $564, as well as decreases, which total uh, $65,000. So we will begin with the uh, first increase proposal from Council Member Newbill, and this is for planning. And the description is to uh, reallocate postage funds from the city clerk to planning and development uh, for transitioning to certified adjacent property notices from the city clerk to planning and development. And that proposal is for $20,000. Okay. Any, Mr. Adjelasto? I'm sorry, but I thought we had already addressed this matter and had many heated debates. And uh, council had said that the servicing of these letters was to transfer. Yes, I, this is the. It should have been in a budget already, correct? Uh, yes, this is the uh, conclusion of what should – this is the completion of that um, particular item. Yes, we talked about this, and I think it goes back to even 17. Uh, this now – that did not happen. And so this now, with the paper that will come forth, will now affect that change. That was our intent. So. Thank you. 
Any other questions or comments? Okay, so um, might I have consensus relative to this particular item? Thank you, Miss. Did I see everybody nod, wave? Can, can I just ask a question real quick? Just oh, that was a question. I'm sorry. Yeah, yes, ma'am. This is a matter of process about how we're moving forward. Um, and I apologize if I ask a question that's already been addressed somehow, some other way. Um, we're we're going to go through and and have the increases, not knowing whether or not we have the money to decrease. At this point, we are looking. We are focusing on uh, proposed increases, and right. decreases are not yet. You're right, right. So the only question I'm going to ask is where's the money coming from to, to to do it? Because again, if it's a great idea, it's a great idea. But then, do we have the funds? Sure. And what's the proposal in that? So if that comes after this, rather in tandem. Uh, I'll just wait. Well, at this point, it is after, but in this particular instance, these dollars are in the city clerk's budget. Are. Are. And would be, tran these are transferring them over, such that uh, the planning and development uh, department would uh, exercise this action. Okay, and um, let me do bring notice to page three. There is a corresponding decrease, Mr. Jones, so you can see that on page three. But duly noted in terms of your other comment. Ms. Robertson? Okay. So in this case, um, this is a, a reallocation. Um, it is uh, earmarked in the city clerk's budget and would reflect a decrease uh, which is also noted, and we have consensus to proceed. Next item. Okay, the next item. We have uh, from work session two, we have a co-patron of Ms. Robertson, Ms. Newbill, Ms. Larson. Again, this is for the city clerk, and it's to increase the city clerk operating budget for audio and visual technology upgrades, and the amount is 188000 $564. Ms. Gray. Is there grant funding available for any of these upgrades? Um, so we, what I think is that we have the opportunity now that we have what the need is to go back and look at all options to make these uh, a reality, whether it's working with the administration, looking at grant opportunities. I think we get to look at all of those. We have a brief window, but we need to do both. I just am recalling from our first budget, there was PEG funding available, and I know that the administration took 50%. Well, as I said, we have not looked at it at this point, but I think that we need to look at it. And Ms. Brown, to whatever extent we've had some discussion. President. Let me punt to Ms. Brown, and then I'll come back to you, Ms. Reed. Um, there are PEG fees available, um, but from what we've been told um, by the city attorney's office is that the upgrades that are needed in here are, can't be covered by the PEG fees. Okay. 
Ms. And Reed. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, and Candace may be able to elaborate a little bit more as to why. Candace Reed, city clerk. Um, I reached out to the city attorney's office for an opinion about the use of PEC funds to make upgrades in the council chamber when we had the first issue with the audio system last February and was told that um, the uses would not be covered under the PEG fund so that I could not use those funds to cover. Is there a written explanation as to why? Yes, I have it. Okay. Thank and I you. I can share that with you all if you like. Mr. Jackson, any comment there? Uh, beyond just a very general uh, comment that PEG funds are very limited in how they can be used, uh, I did not do the analysis of this particular request, so uh, I would have to review the actual opinion that was written, presumably by one of the staff lawyers in the office, uh, to, to say anything more about it. I'm just I'm not familiar with okay. the actual specific reasoning in this case. Okay, so you will review that and get that back yes, to ma'am. us. Okay. Ms. Larson. Um, just to follow up on the PEG, if, if we're not allowed to use that for these needs, could you also give us some information on what we could use it on? Yes, ma'am. We've done, we've done that kind of opinion multiple occasions over the years. I'm sure we can put something together. Okay. Because it, it's, it's my understanding that we do have funds available in that bucket. So for, and I'm, Mr. Jackson, you'll get back with us in, in that regards. Uh, but Ms. Larson and Ms. Gray, I think that this discussion is whether or not we want to move these things forward. And then in the meantime, what we look at are any grants, that source of funding, conversation with the administration, and any other opportunities to make them happen. But to really ascertain whether or not we want to move them forward. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry, I mean, I'm, I'm a coach, co-patron. So yes. Obviously, I'm. Yes. I'm supporting of this, and it would be great. If oh, we, you were raising your hand to say, "Let's move forward." I got. No, I was oh. raising my hand just to clarify. I, anytime we can access a specific revenue stream outside of the general fund, I think it's great. But regardless of of where the money comes from, we have the needs, and I think we need to support the the clerk's office on this one. Ms. Reed, did you have additional comment at this point? No, I don't. Okay. Um, These are some outstanding um, issues that Ms. Reed has been bringing forth for a while now. Uh, We've had some experience, (laughs) no, we've had experiences with technology uh, in uh, this chamber and how it serves us or doesn't. And so, I certainly am committed to and certainly have signed on as a patron here to going and looking at where there would be opportunity for the funds from any sources. And like I said, whether it's the source that we've already discussed or conversation with the administration and any other grant funding to be able to proceed with this. So do I have consensus for at least moving this forward at this point, knowing that we will go and do our due diligence relative to the source of funding. Okay. I can't. 
Ms. Gray, Mr. Adelasto, okay, Mr. Addison. Thank you, and Mr. Jones. Next item. The next item is for the increase in Council Chief of Staff operating budget for consultant services. The patron is Mrs. Robertson, and this was uh, addressed for work session number two. Ms. Robertson, any comment? Thank you, Madam Chair. This is directly in relationship to a uh, paper that was recently passed uh, by council uh, requesting that $150,000 be placed in our budget to address our needs to deal with um, special uh, expertise consultation as needed by the body um, frequently comes up as it relates to um, major uh, economic development opportunities that come before the council, but there are others also that have been identified. And so this would provide us with the revenues to be able to make those decisions and would not be left to the uh, need to have the budget amended uh, only that can be amended by the mayor when those needs arrive. Okay. And this has been adopted by council, but I don't. My understanding that is not in the current budget as proposed. Okay. Any other comments, questions? What's your pleasure? Is there a consent? Consensus. Thank you. Next item. Okay, the next items, work session number two. Co-patrons, Mrs. Larson and Mrs. Gray. And this is to increase the council chief of staff operating budget for citywide cost savings and efficiency study with the amount of $200,000. Um, patrons, um, comment. Ms. Larson. Um, so I think this would be uh, a good thing for the rest of city council to get behind. This would be a, an outside look at city hall operations and where are some places where we can find efficiencies and cost savings. Um, you know, we all know the mayor has introduced a nine cent real estate tax, um, and all almost all the city budgets have increased, but. I think we need to show the public and the residents who live here that we're doing everything we can in our in City Hall to run an efficient operation before we ask them to contribute more. Now I realize the study won't come to fruition until after the budget, but I think it's worth us making the investment, putting it out on the street, getting somebody to come in, go through um, the operations and give us the analysis so that we have it as we go into our budget season for the following year. Ms. Gray? So um, just want to ditto that. And, you know, the front page of our local paper says, Hemrico knows exactly what it wants to do with the extra $50 million that it has in its budget. As our 
budget increases and assessments have gone up, we are still in the mindset of, of lack. And I know that there are traditionally deferred maintenance and underfunded areas within the city. But the rate that we are spending is not sustainable for us as a locality. And um, what I'm hearing from folks who are on the margins is that they won't be able to live in their homes and maintain a residence within the city limits um, at this rate. So I think it's important for us to, to really take a deep look at the management side of City Hall and try to eke out as many savings as we can to move forward. Any other comment or question? Hi. Just, just, just one uh, for, for the patrons. Does this duplicate functions that we already have? Are there things that, you know, our auditor, our, uh, um, our current budget staff, are these things that they can be assigned? Both Ms. Gray, Ms. Larson. So this would just go deeper than what the auditor is able to do with the number of hours and staffing that he has. Um, there are firms who do this in the private industry, firms who do this in the public industries, and um, they come in and they find savings and efficiencies in, in operations. And I think that we're at a point where we can we can no longer keep throwing more money into the budget thinking that we're going to expect better results and and better efficiencies we're we're spending more and more and if last year's budget is any indication we're getting less as a result so i think we need to really take a a moment to examine what's happening internally. Um, it will go deeper than the performance management study that was done by VCU early on in, in this administration. Ms. Larson. Um, your question about the, the audit department and the city auditor is a good one. And I did have a conversation with Mr. Lassiter about this study because I think he would have to work closely with these folks um, in providing information and as well as working with them collaboratively throughout the process. So like Ms. Gray said, it, it would allow for a deeper dive and our auditor has you know, a budget and his plan and all those things, but he, he only has so much, so much time. So this would be in addition, but could also um, dovetail with some of the information he already has, as well as some of the audits he's working on for the upcoming year. Just to have a uh, question. So um, I just want to be clear, in conversation with our auditor, he indicated that an additional $200,000 would be needed to, I'm, I'm not no, clear. No, we, we approached 
Mr. Lassiter with the question of um, bringing in a consulting firm that can look at the operations and help us find savings. Typically, for every dollar spent, there's a return, a significant return, and finding those efficiencies. Um, so when asking him what he thought we should put in the budget for the upcoming year, he thought this was a reasonable amount to expect to pay for said services. And this would not be, I guess I think of such things as being largely um, what we would have as expectation from our auditor assisting with looking at uh, efficiencies across the organization. We have in here a position that he's asked about as well. So this is... So the auditor looks at specific points and time in the operation. But, for instance, if we wanted to um, make our permits and inspections operation more efficient, the consultant would have the expertise and have looked at these things across the country and what's working, what's not, how to set up physically, how to set up workflows, those types of things, and give specific detailed um, recommendations on how the operation can run more efficiently and save and and with that save the taxpayers more dollars. So it's it's a little bit deeper than what the auditor looks at. Okay. Thank you. Any other questions? Ms. Robertson? Um, Madam Chair, thank you, and um, in in response to this request, I think that it would be a good thing that, um, and I would suggest that we have a more in-depth conversation with the auditor um, to determine uh, the work that he is, that that Department is currently doing as to whether or not how much um, efficiencies and cost savings he feels like the audits that he's doing on an annual basis are actually bringing that information to the table. I think the difference, <clears throat> what I'm understanding in this request is that we create a overall benchmark for how we are evaluating efficiencies and cost savings uh, citywide. Um, and I'm sure when I say citywide, that may that that has different meanings to different people as to what that really would mean. And certainly, we would have to define that. Um, but I I think that. Having a little bit more information from the auditor would be helpful, not only as to the work that he does with his department and whether or not there are any other kinds of work that we need to take in consideration that we've already invested <coughs> in uh, that would give us a better appreciation for how effectively we are doing this. Um, but I agree that it would be good business for the city of Richmond to have a method by which we are looking at um, efficiencies and that it is not an annual study. It is something that we use to create a, a benchmark as it relates to costs and 
the, the return on our investments, the efficiencies, and so forth, and that we look at perhaps revisiting it on some frequency rather than it being a one-time kind of thing that we should really look at ways that we are doing this. But I would like to have um, a conversation with the auditor or have him come to us and also the administration as it relates to methods that are currently being employed to address uh, cost savings and efficiencies and methods that we are currently doing that because having a greater appreciation for that I think would better help us to define what we are really asking for in the study. But I think that is smart for any business to know that they are, they are constantly looking at ways to be more effective and more efficient. Ms. Gray? So I think it's both. Um, if we look at the most recent audit of utility cuts, the auditor isn't going in saying, you should do your utility cuts this way. The auditor is looking at the policy and the procedures and making sure that they are being followed according to what the policy says. So inspections should be done. And when the inspections are coming out, the inspectors are coming out, they're following the guidelines and the policies. It should be no more than an inch or it should be that. So the auditors are going in looking at what we currently are doing as but an efficiency study would look at how we might do things differently, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yes. But I'm saying, yes. What I'm saying, basically, just to make sure that I'm trying to be clear about what I'm saying, I believe that the administration and these departments are doing um, efficiency analysis to determine the methodology and the approach that they use as it relates to decisions that they make. I mean, DPW is, is a great example of that. Uh, we've made huge changes in DPW, and those changes were being made based on DPW's recommendations to us of looking at how we do bulk trash, how do we do street cleaning, how do we do leaf collection in a different process, which were means and measures of more effective and efficient ways of getting certain things done. Uh, we've invested in purchase of major systems and equipment and so forth that are recommendations of more effective cost savings and more efficiency uh, methodology of getting things done. So I think that it's important that we have that a benchmark for the city of Richmond and that we're measuring those things. But I think that it's important that we uh, looking at holistically what we are currently doing because we've already we've already made huge investments in lots of those methods of looking at cost savings and efficiencies and so I I do I do appreciate the fact that the auditor has something to bring to the table but I think the administration and their methodologies of doing this needs to be appreciated as we move forward with considering this study. Thank you, Mr. Addison, and then Mr. Jones. Thank you, Council President. Uh, I think this is a uh, great approach to looking at some ideas and recommendations we can make from Council to do that. I'd like to add possibly, I know we're in the discussion phase, but focusing on supporting our performance-based budget that we've been looking for in terms of, you know, maybe some city stat level performance metrics, things that are going to show 
the outcomes of our changes, I think, on a bigger picture. So supporting the initiatives we've already done as a council in working with the administration to show outcomes of what we're doing, not only finding things to improve, making sure we're tracking the right things. So if they're going to be going into all this stuff, might as well do it not just for efficiency, but also for performance and things that we're supposed to be doing on a daily basis, weekly basis. I think it's more also, too, of addressing Councilwoman Robertson's point of telling the story about what we are doing and how we are improving things. Uh, we don't really have a good way of showing that, I think, as a city, that things are being done every day. We have equipment being bought, things of that level, but I have, you know, I want to see some tangible things that I can express to my constituents. Here's the impact we're having with these decisions we've made, whether it be funding, positions, equipment, staffing, et cetera, that we're working to make our city run better. And I think that being a big part of that would be key, not just to find things to tweak and improve, but drive things about improving the operations as a whole moving forward is an idea that I think we should be adding to that. So if we're scoping this out later, I'm just saying I'd like to have that be part of that conversation. Okay. Thank you. Mr. Jones. Thank, thank you, Madam President. I think this is positive as far as I don't think we can do enough uh, to look at process improvement. Um, the question is, how do we go about doing it? Um, because what I wouldn't want to do or have happen is we have this process that we go through as council and, um, you know, the administration just says or sees it as, okay, maybe that's not the process by which we want to go about doing it. That may not make sense. But, you know, kind of like the, what, what I appreciate with Mr. Lassiter is that he, he's being effective. He's raising issues and concerns, and they are uh, matters that can be implemented and are being implemented by, um, by the administration. Um, and how do, we, how do we have this process in-house? Uh, how do we have this process in the auditor function uh, to look at efficiencies, uh, because that is something that an auditor, in, in my mind, can do. Um, um, you know, and so, so it, 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 I like the idea. The, the, the thing is, how do we go about getting it done um, to make it um, as seamless as possible? And, you know, again, to, to go with what's already there, because, again, if it's just an outside entity, Okay, they, they, they give their report and then that's done. And then do we do it again versus bringing in headcount or FTEs or developing a process internally between administration and council uh, to get these things done? And so, but, but, but again, I don't think, especially with us asking individuals to, you know, potentially raise taxes, I don't think this is a, necessarily a bad thing, but it's just, you know, how do we go about doing it? What's the best way uh, to do it? Thank you, Mr. Jones. Ms. Larson, and then we'll try to move on. So um, I'm wondering if we could ask Lou to come down here and maybe comment on this real quick. Um, uh, yeah, I was looking around for him, too. And well, maybe he thought, you know, since we had slated this for 1 o'clock, he probably wasn't. Um, well, so, or, or we could just do it next week at our budget session so, or something. 
I would like to ask us to consider that so that Lou could be here and have some sense of it, as well as we've mentioned the administration mm -hmm. and working with them, so that we can have a substantive conversation. What I'm hearing is that folks are thinking, yes, we need to look at efficiencies, but how we do that and working in conjunction with the administration is also important and the auditor. So if people are amenable, we would leave this on to move forward, but with that kind of discussion for next session. Okay. So, and I just wanted to um, briefly comment on what Mr. Jones was saying. I, and I think this is what I hear. Is he doesn't want to see this be a report that we get. It goes on a shelf and it collects dust. That's so once we get it, What's the execution? How do we follow exactly. through and all that? And I feel the exact same way. I've seen too many reports that go on that shelf. Um, and so that's where I think, even though this is in, so it's in our budget, it's in the council chief of staff, it definitely requires some collaboration with the administration, of course, as well as um, Lou Lassiter. Right. Because... It really does um, complement the work he's already doing, and I think he can be a real asset in not only the process of the study, but also what happens afterwards and how do we carry it out. And I think some of the, the questions you had, Mr. Jones, about you know what does that look like afterwards can also be addressed through that process. Um, I... Thank you. Exactly. Uh, dust we don't need any more dust collectors. We, and in order to not, it really needs to be a collaborative effort across all three of those entities so that, well, I don't want to be redundant. But uh, with that, uh, if there is no disagreement, we would move this forward to the next session and have opportunity to have had uh, and to have had prior discussion, but also to have uh, the auditor and the administration um, uh, weighing in with us. Okay, seeing no... Just a thought. Is Mr. Lassiter available to come down and deal with it now so it's, you know... But the, we're just raising the questions okay. now, and it's, I think it would behoove us to allow him to hear those questions and concerns from our staff and administration is here in part, but for them to be able to go back and be able to come and really, you know, this is an important item. Um, so to really, it, that requires us to all be in. And so if you're okay with that, I'd really like to access to put that on the next session, have opportunity for those entities to come back so we can have a more informed discussion. Seeing no uh, objection, Looking Okay, we'll go to the next item. Yes, the final increase is from work session two. Uh, Mrs. Gray is the patron, and this is for the city auditor to increase their personnel budget uh, for increased vacancy fund funding with the intent to fund two vacant positions at the amount of $60,000. Ms. Gray? So um, having served the past couple of years on the audit committee and seeing the progress that um, we are making. It is very collaborative. The respective department heads, the CAO, the CFO, 
all agree that this this process is working a lot better. Um, I see a more um, receptive administration to the recommendations that have come forward. We are finding some issues, but they're not um, they're not insurmountable. And the department heads are addressing the issues as the audits come forward. I think that that presents an opportunity, and if we fully staff the auditor, we can do even more of what is working. Okay. Questions, comments, council members? Ms. Robertson. Uh, $60,000 for two positions? Um, Can I get a little bit It's actually, he's, he's, <laughs> he has enough to fund one position. The 60 will fund the second and position fully. So I, my, my second question is, when the auditor made his presentation, did he request funding for that one additional vacant position? Do we recall I don't believe he specifically requested it. Um, it was based on a question I believe was posed by Ms. Gray, and she had asked, was there enough, is the vacancy funding that he had enough to fill the two positions? And he indicated that it was not. And when asked how much additional funding would he need to fully fund the two vacant positions, he indicated approximately 60000 Okay, thank you. So it's really a portion of one additional. Right. It's, it's not two, two positions. Okay. Right. So we'll make that um, edit. Any other questions or comments? And Mr. Lassiter will be here next session as well, but uh, what's your pleasure? Say again. Uh, again, I'd really like to hear from Mr. Lassiter. Okay. Okay. So he will be here for next session, and so we're wanting additional feedback here. Is that what I'm hearing? Additional commentary. Okay. So with that, um, those two items, uh, we will uh, – well, that one in, in this instance, it will be Mr. Lassiter speaking to that item, and so we will take that over to the amendment uh, session. Next, if you would, decrease this. Okay, that brings us to a total of $208,564. Okay. Okay. And for the decreases, uh, work session one, council member Newbill. Uh, this is for the city clerk. Again, this is the corresponding um, amendment to the initial uh, one that we discussed for the increases for planning. And the amount is $20,000. Any, when we discussed this with the very first item, the uh, for the city clerk's office in terms of reallocation, this just corresponds to the movement of those dollars from her budget to planning and development. Any questions, concerns? Seeing none, we'll go to the next item. Okay. And the last item is for work session two, patron Mrs. Robertson. Council Chief of Staff has decreased 
uh, the personnel budget for council chief of staff uh, funding for part-time uh, salaries at the total of $65,000. 45, oh, sorry, sorry, 45 in that category, 65 total. <laughs> sorry. You, well, you're trying, yeah, but not so much that one. Uh, any questions or comments? Ms. Robertson. Making as a part of her presentation, said that this was money in the budget that was not needed. Is that correct? That's correct. We went back through and made sure that the vacant chief of staff position is fully funded. So when you guys decide to hire that, and then this was a, uh, the difference of what we don't need. Thank you. Any other comment, question, council members? Um, consensus. Okay, I'm not seeing. Okay, getting hands now. All righty, thank you. Uh, with that, um, Mr. Jones. Yeah, if we, if we could, I just received notice that Mr. Lou Lasseter is on his way down. Can we deal with this now, perchance? Uh, no, sir. Okay, fine. Um, what we've said that so that we, he can have sufficient time, but also the administration. I mean, so it's not just a one-part conversation. Yeah. I mean, we still would then have to punt over to the next. So if we can all do it in one fell swoop, that would be great. Um, we got clarification relative to the position, which would have been the item that Mr. Lassiter was speaking to, the additional $60,000 that will uh, fund uh, that, uh, the majority of that second position. But um, we, yeah, we can hold, so we can have a more substantive, and the administration and Mr. Lassiter can have more. Now, I'm just trying to understand, if, if it's something that he needed, why didn't he put it in his budget? Say again? If it I was did. something that he needed. I'm just trying to understand why he didn't put it in his budget if it was something that he needed. Okay, let me, okay, so. I'm trying to understand the budget process. I'm going to back up to, so the first item, we said we would put, the 200000 for the efficiency study and allow for opportunity for our auditor administration to have comfort and bring that back. Now, are you asking about the $60,000 for uh, the auditor that Ms. Gray is patron? Is that the item you're asking about? I'm just not. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's a both and. Um, okay. But it, it's still, you know, Okay, so if it's both in, I'm going to ask that we, uh, we got consensus to bring this back uh, next session after everyone's had opportunity to discuss, and so I'm going to ask us to hold to that. Okay, so with that, uh, we have concluded. Mr. Yes. Okay, I see hands. Sorry, unfortunately, I don't think we were able to get a count for the last one. Uh, uh, it was everyone, okay. I believe. Thank you. Okay, I'm sorry, and I'll do better to make sure that we indicate by show of hands, if that's helpful. Okay, thank you. Anything else? Mr. Agilesto. Just um, procedurally going forward, I know in past years it had been council's uh, policy to um, introduce uh, amendments that were balanced. So if there was an increase, there was an offsetting decrease. Are we foregoing that for this budget year? <laughs> Do you want to go, go on? I'll let Megan go on and share with you what we talked about for this session. 
Um, similar to last year, for the general fund, we're not um, requiring that they be balanced when submitted because of how we're actually reviewing the departments, because you may want to increase this one, but you don't know where you want to take it from because another department hasn't presented. So the general fund ones don't necessarily have to balance, but for your CIP, they will have to balance. Okay. Any other questions or comments? With that, staff, anything else? Seeing no other questions or comments, this session stands adjourned, and I will see you again this afternoon at 4 for informal council session. Thank you.